go all the way up to chapter 9. Uh, and then, because about two years ago, we did a series on, on Paul, and we started in Acts 9. So we're finishing up. We finished up a session on the disciples, and then we kind of carried on through uh, talking about the early church. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus ascends into heaven. Uh, in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes. And remember at Pentecost, uh, Peter preaches. There's 3,000 people to get saved and baptized. And we kind of have the start of this thing that we call the church. Um, we get uh, into Acts chapter 3, and Peter heals a man. And at that point, things start to change. And the religious leaders of the day get a little nervous. So they bring him in and put him in jail overnight and then tell him not to do that anymore. Uh, and, of course, that wasn't too effective because um, the disciples looked at him, or the apostles, Peter and, and John, looked at him and said, you know, you, you decide what do you think we're going to do. And, and he goes back to um, preaching. Uh, then what happens is um, in Acts chapter, at the end of Acts chapter 4, they go in and, and talk to the church, and the church encourages them. So we get to Acts chapter 5, and we talked about that last week with the Holy Spirit and Ananias and Sapphira, who lied to the, the Holy Spirit, and God took their lives, and, we, and Barnabas, who um, God honored, and we talked about that. Um, this morning, we're going to start an, another section, kind of, as the apostles' ministry. And here's what you're going to see as we go. You're going to watch as the persecution for the church starts, and, it, and every time it builds, and ultimately it's going to culminate in, in the martyrdom of Stephen. Um, so we're not there yet, but we're getting there. So in Acts chapter 5, which is where we're going to be looking this morning, what happens is the, the disciples start healing people. And they start healing a lot of people. And this really gets the attention of the, leaders, the religious leaders of the day. Because the Sanhedrin are realizing this thing is snowballing and they can't stop it. And um, since, since it is, they've, they've got to figure out what to do. And we're going to be talking about that the next couple of weeks. So this morning we're in Acts chapter 5. Here's what it says. Um, uh, oh, no, one more. There we go. Um, is that right? No, that's four. Keep going. What happened? No, no. Oh, yeah, go back, go back. Uh, go one more. No, wait a minute. Oh, you're going way too fast for me. Go stand and speak all the people. Of the oh, go back one more. Go back one more. Early in the morning, I appreciate you. Nope, keep going back. Back. Yeah, go back. Okay, stop right there. Okay, this is my goof. That's supposed to be Acts 5. That's verse 12 right there, okay? Which is where we're picking it up. Okay, because Acts, first part, 1 through 11 was Ananias and Sapphira. Verse 12. Um, I don't know how I did that. But anyway, okay, here we go. <sighs> if you thought this was a perfect church, you're wrong. Uh, here we go. And through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. And they were all with one accord in, this, in, in Solomon's port. This is kind of the main area where they would, they would gather at the temple. And it says, yet none of the rest dare join them, but the people esteemed them highly. And believers were increasing and added to the Lord multitudes of both men and women. Uh, going on to the next one, guys. Uh, and it says, So that they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. And a multitude gathered from surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Now, here's what happened. 
Um, Peter and them start preaching, okay? And so they're preaching, and they're also healing people, and God is using them to heal people. And as they do, word starts to spread. Now, these guys, at this point, the people of the way, Christianity has not left Jerusalem. It's all still right there. So what happens is people start bringing people to Jerusalem to be healed. Now, remember, they've already healed one guy. He had been sitting at the temple for over 40 years, and, then, and word starts to spread. And so the next thing you know, people start going, you know what? I need to get my sick brother, sister, child, grandparent, whoever, parent. I need to get them to Jerusalem in hopes that maybe the disciples will heal them. Or people who had an unclean spirit, that, that they would cast out the demons. So they're, they're hoping, they're praying for anything. And you know how that goes. When, when, when somebody you care for is sick, you'll do just about anything. So that's what was happening. Now, it throws us a little bit when we see this thing about that the shadow of Peter passing by. You need to understand that in this culture, clothing and even a shadow was considered an extension of the person. You remember the story of Jesus and the woman reaches out to touch what? The hem of his garment. You know why? Because that was considered as holy as he was. In the same way, they believed that as you walked, if it was a sunny day and your shadow was there, the shadow was an extension of you. And if it just as if Peter would have reached out and touched her, if Peter's shadow would have walked by, they could be healed. So there was this mindset that, you know what? If, if even he could walk by and his shadow fall on him, maybe it'll help the, my loved one. So people start bringing all of these people in. Now think about this for a minute. If you're a leader of the religious Sanhedrin, the, the, the religious leaders of the day, and people are flocking to Jerusalem, not not to hear you, but to hear these people of the way, these disciples, these followers of Christ, who are talking about, this is, this is crucial, a resurrected guy. When you have taught people there is no resurrection, that's a threat. When you have taught people that, then all of a sudden you're a threat. So now the religious real leaders of the day, they're, they're trying to figure out, look, this thing's getting a little crazy, and we've got to stop it. So notice what happens next. So you've got all these people coming in, and here's what they do. Then the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, um, remember this, we'll get to it in a second, but the Sadducees don't believe in a resurrection, they don't believe in angels. Okay? So keep that in the back of your head for a second. And they were all filled with indignation. The word is uh, jealousy. Um, some people say envy. Uh, the idea here is that um, uh, one interpretation is zeal, that they decided, you know what, we've got to do something about this. This is getting out of hand. So notice what it says. And they laid hands on the apostles and put them in a common prison. <clears throat> this is more of a public prison thing. So they say, you know what, let's go get those guys and let's imprison them. Now, wait a minute. The last time that they healed somebody, what happened? What did they do to him? They put him in prison overnight, remember? And then they brought him in, let him talk, and then they said, don't go do this anymore. They went out and did that. So now what's going to happen? Now what's going to happen? Bye. <laughs> Love it. Uh, um, now what's going to happen? Now they've done what they, they told them not to do, and now they're doing Oh, yeah, for those of you who don't know, that was my granddaughter. That's why I can do that, all right? I want you to think if your kid does that, I'm going to single them out. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, um, so now, what happened? They start preaching again, and they haul them, and they put them in prison again. Okay? Now, 
If this is the second time it's happened, what do you think is going to happen when you preach a third time? Yeah, kind of. Yeah. You can't expect the same thing. But here's what happens in this story. This is what's awesome. Notice what happened. Now, they've got him in the common prison. And they're watching him and going on. Verse 19, here's what it says. But at night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out. Now, time out. If you're a Sadducee who doesn't believe in angels, and an angel comes and lets them out, you kind of have a problem, don't you? Okay? Because eventually they're going to go before the Sanhedrin. I'm going to get into next week for a minute. They're going to go before the Sanhedrin. They're going to say, how would you get out? And you know what they're going to say? An angel let us out. Okay? So it, it would be like, I'm going to assume that nobody in here believes in unicorns. Okay, if you do, I'm sorry. But um, it would be like me telling you, you know, it, when you ask me, you know, well, how'd you get to Peoria and back? You know, and I said, well, a unicorn helped me. You'd look at me like, <laughs> unicorns don't exist. Okay, the Sadducees didn't believe angels existed. So who does God send? An angel. He's confronting it. So an angel comes and lets him out, knows what it says. And now the angel tells them, okay, go stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. <laughs> okay, I'm going to read it again. But at night an angel of the Lord opened the doors and brought, said, go stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of life. Now, wait a minute. The first time I did it, what happened? I ended up in jail. Second time I do it, what happens? An angel of the Lord comes and lets me out of jail. And then what does the angel of the Lord say? He doesn't say, look, you know what? You need to go be safe. You need to go what? Go back to where they just hauled you out of and start preaching again. Okay? So these guys, now again, put it all in context, okay? You watch Jesus come out of a grave. You watch him ascend into heaven. You watch the Holy Spirit come. You watched over 5,000 people come to Christ. You've watched people be healed. You've watched the Holy Spirit take the life of Ananias and Sapphira, who didn't do what God told them to do and lied. And an angel tells you, go preach. What are you going to do? <laughs> you got to go preach. So that's what they do. Going on, verse 21. Uh, notice what it says. And when they heard that, they entered the temple early in the morning and taught. But the high priest and those with him came and called the council together. So the disciples go, all right. You tell us to go preach. Next morning, they get up, they go to the temple, and they start preaching. Now, scene shifts to the council, the Sanhedrin. All the grand, important, religious, muck-a-muck people of the day are all assembled together, and they're going to try to figure out what to do with these people because this is a threat to their system. They're talking about resurrection. They're talking about angels. They're talking about healing. People are coming from all over to follow these guys. We don't want that. So notice what happens. He said, the high priest and those who came with him called the council together with all the elders of the children of Israel, sent them to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came and did not find them in a prison, they returned. And they reported. Notice what they said. Uh, saying, indeed, we found the prison shut securely. The guards standing outside before the doors. But when we opened them, no one was inside. Now what are you going to do? Now, this is great. Now when the high priest, the captain of the temple, and the chief priest heard these things, they wondered what the outcome would be. These guys are trying to figure out, what are we going to do now? These guys, we had them. 
We, we had guards outside. They weren't inside. What do we do now? And then, notice what happened. Don't ever think God doesn't have a sense of humor. So one came and told them, saying, look, the men who you put in prison, they're staying in the temple teaching the people. They're like, okay, now wait a minute. Isn't that where we arrested them? Yeah, they're back there doing it again. You mean they didn't, like, run away from me? No, they didn't run away from me. Why? Because the angel told them to go back. They didn't know this yet. They're going to find this out. The angel told them to go back. And so some clown comes in and goes, hey, by the way, the guys you're looking for, yeah, they're over there preaching again. And so, now look at this. The captain went with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people lest they should be stoned. They go up to the disciples and they go, hey, guys, look, we got a problem. You're not supposed to be here. You're supposed to be in jail. And we went to get you out of jail, and you're standing up here preaching, and you got a meeting with the Sanhedrin. So, would you please come with us? Because, see, they understood. If they just grabbed and hauled these guys off, they could lose their life. And, by the way, this is the captain of the guard. This is the guy who was in charge of all of the temple area, the guy who was in charge of keeping everybody safe, keeping policy. If things got out of hand, Rome would get involved. So, this guy was an important guy, and he's actually asking them, would you please come with us? And notice what it says. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. Now, we're going to talk about the rest of it next week because there's enough lessons in here for us today, okay? That's the story, all right? Let's talk about what we can learn from it that will help us, okay? Because there's, there's, a, there's a lot packed in here, and I think a lot that, that will help us as we try to walk a Christian life uh, before God and before the world. First thing, we need to understand that the apostles and disciples did not heal. God did. Let me say it again. The apostles and the disciples did not heal. God did. God used the disciples and the apostles to heal. But they were not the source of healing. It wasn't Peter's shadow. It wasn't even just bringing them to Peter. It was God healing them through the disciples. Now, that may seem like a very simple statement, but I think it carries a load of weight with us in our culture. And here's why. If you're not careful, we start to believe that doctors heal or hospitals heal. Or if you get the right doctor in the right hospital with the right treatment, you'll be healed. And we forget that those people are simply tools in the hand of God. Now, I say this because I deal with a lot of people who beat themselves up over a choice that they made somewhere in the healthcare system. And it's like, well, if we would have done this differently, then the outcome would have been different. Time out. Time out. It's not the hospital. It's not the doctor. It's not the people who are caring for you. It's not the medicine. It's God who heals. And I think that is an important concept for us to wrestle with. There are people who believe it is always God's will, will to heal. I understand where, they come from, where they're coming from. They're, I have some that are good friends who believe this. I understand Isaiah 53 and how they, how they come to that conclusion. I get that. I don't think I can honestly go there scripturally. I don't think it is always God's will, will to heal. Okay? I, think, I think there's a number of stories that teach that. Okay? That, that teach that, 
you know, the guy who had blindness, you know, his sickness was for the glory of God. I think Paul struggled with that when he says, you know, I want this thorn removed, and it wasn't. So, so I believe that, that it is not necessarily always God's will to heal. In Acts here, the early church is getting ready to take off. Something needs to confirm that these guys are from God. So I think you see a lot of the signs and wonders movement in, in the beginning of Acts because God has to confirm his message because everybody and their brothers out there saying they have the truth. But, you know, when, when a guy comes out of the grave, then that's pretty significant evidence. And so I think you see the healing ministry take off that way in, in Acts because I think it, it confirms things. I think that's why Paul later is able to actually get bitten by a, de- get bitten by a, a deadly serpent and not die. And everybody looked at him and went, hey, look, you know what? There's something unique about that guy. So I think God did those kinds of things to confirm his message. I think we have to be careful. I pray for healing. There's no question about that. You know, when my dad got sick, we prayed for years for God to heal him. Um, when Doug, I mean, you know, we prayed 25 years for God to heal Doug, my, my best friend. I, I'm not against praying. I pray for healing. But I'm not going to trust, I'm not going to say the confident, my confidence is in the doctor or the system or the regimen or whatever it is that, that, that is being used to try to help us. And I think we have to be careful here because we have one of the best medical care systems in the, in the world. And sometimes we put our confidence and trust in that. And we have to be careful there. For some of you who are in the healthcare industry, you know, I, I applaud you to be able to do what you do every day, to care for people in some of their deepest, darkest places in life, to have to do the things that you have to do in order to treat people with dignity and respect and honor. Um, I'm thrilled that we have you where you are. But you, like me, are a tool. Um, you know, I have people that, you know, will come and they'll say, well, you know what? You know, that message really spoke to me. Thank you. No, you don't understand. God spoke to you through me. It wasn't me. It was God at work speaking through me. Just as if I go to a hospital and they give me a treatment, it's, it's God using the hospital to be a part of my healing. God using the doctor, the surgeon, the, the, all of the stuff. It rests in the hands of God. And I think we've got to get back to remembering that. Because I see a lot of people beat themselves up over healthcare choices when the reality of it is you have to wrestle with the ultimate idea that God's in control. Okay? So I think that's a great lesson for us. The second lesson, I think, in this story is this. Sometimes God asks us to do really tough stuff. It's almost careless when an angel looks at these, these guys and says, hey, look, I know you've done this twice and you've been in prison for it twice. I want you to go back and do it a third time. Instead of saying, you know what, I want to make sure that you have a a, a comfortable ministry and everything else. So now that we've let you go, you need to go and go to another town and preach. Now, the angel of the Lord asked them to do something incredibly difficult and something really that makes no sense from a human perspective. I mean, you know, why didn't he tell them to go preach on the outskirts of town so they were harder to find? The angel says, I want you to go back right to where you were, face everything that you're going to have to face, deal with everything you're going to have to deal with, because I've got something bigger that I'm doing here. 
And I think we have to remember that sometimes God asks us to do some really hard stuff. And that's okay. Because he's got a bigger picture in play. And some of you have gone through, are going through, will go through. Some incredibly difficult things that, as a pastor, I can't help you because I don't understand it. But I can tell you this. I can tell you that God sometimes asks some pretty hard things of us. When you finish the book of Acts, what you're going to realize is that some people, he asked them to die for him. When you go through your Old Testament, you're going to realize that there are people that paid a tremendous price. When you look at the cross, you realize the price Jesus paid for our salvation, a tremendous price. Sometimes God asks us to do hard things. And we have to be willing if we're going to follow him. Was it not Jesus who said, if you want to follow me, you've got to be willing to take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. It may come at a price to follow me. We're fortunate. We don't live in a country where many of you are going to be threatened with death because you came this morning. But there are places like that in the world today. You know, the toughest thing some of you may face this week is trying to find a good parking spot. You know, all of us want your life, okay? Um, but the reality of it is, there are some of you that you're, you're carrying, you walked in here carrying tremendous burdens. And you know what? God's asked some tough stuff of you. And you are our heroes. As we watch you go through it, as we try to carry what we can carry, as we pray for you, as we try to encourage you, as we try to do what minimal things we can do because we can't carry your load. And I don't, you know, and the more and more I deal with people, the more and more I realize how much some people actually carry, you know. And and my heart goes out, you know. That's, That's a tough thing about being a pastor is, you know, your heart breaks for so many situations. And if you don't know me enough to know this, I'm a fixer. I like to fix stuff. The most frustrating thing of my job is I realize that 90% of the things I deal with, I can't fix. You know, that's why this, that's why the building project is great for me. Because I'm like, I can fix that. You know, that's a piece of wood. I know what to do with that. But yet, when you get into people's lives and you try to help, it's so hard because some of the stuff is so overwhelming. But you know you can't do anything other than pray for them and try to encourage them and be there for them. And, and, and I want to challenge you because I want to be careful how I say this. God is going to ask tough stuff of people that he can trust with tough stuff. Okay? Let me say it again. God's going to, God's going to allow tough stuff into your life to people he can trust with tough stuff. Wrestle with Job sometime. Satan went about all the earth trying to find somebody that he could really, really go after. And it was God who suggested Job. It was God who said, Satan, have you thought about that guy over there? Because I know him. and You can throw everything at him. He won't cave. He won't cave. And Satan wanted to throw even more at him. God said, no, 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 Job, uh, Satan, here's your limit. You can, only take, you can only go so far in testing him. And Satan came back and said, ah, the reason is because you won't let me touch his physical life. And God said, okay, 
You can touch his physical life. But God's a giver and taker of life. So he said, you can't touch his physical life. You can't take his physical life. I would not want to be, you know, I mean, I, there's a part of me that says, God, I want to be that kind of guy for you. The other part of me goes, I don't know that I want to be that kind of guy, you know, because it was a high price. Now, the flip side of the story is everything that Job lost, he gained back twice, actually. Um, that's the crazy part of the end of the story. But, you know, sometimes God may ask some tough stuff of you, and some of you may be in a place right now where God's asking some pretty hard things of you. Can, can I encourage you to stick with it? Can I encourage you to be obedient and do what you need to do and hang in there? Because, you see, the last lesson of this is what's really important, too, and that's that God's in control. You see, what I find interesting in the story is when the leaders come, when the, when the guard comes to these guys and has to try to get them to go back before the Sanhedrin. They go willingly. Now, you got to think about this for a minute. They're standing on a port preaching. There are hundreds, possibly thousands of people in front of them. And as they're preaching and they're healing and they're taking care of people, and these, these, these temple guards come up and have a little discussion with them, all they would have had to say was, hey guys, they're trying to haul us off. What do you think about that? All they had to do. All they had to do was put up a sign that says, they're violating my rights. And there would have been mayhem. But you know what they do? They are confident that a God who can send an angel to open the door of a cell that's guarded by guards in a common area who tells them to go back to the porch and preach, that that kind of God will take care of them when they go before the Sanhedrin. By the way, I want to give away too much next week. They pay a price for going back too. And yet, these guys are willing to say, you know what, we understand there's something bigger at play here. God is in control, and rather than burr up and fight for our freedom, we're going to trust God that he'll take care of us. And there's this confidence that it's going to be okay because God is in control. And that's what I pray for all of us. Because as we go through life and as we go through stuff, it's really hard sometimes to put our confidence in the fact that God is in control. Look, Nothing that comes into your life this week is going to be a surprise to God. That's not sitting up in heaven going, oh, man, I didn't see that one coming. How am I going to help him now? God knows what's going to happen. God knows what you're going through. God wants to be a part of it. But see, God has something much bigger in store. But we have these little finite human minds trying to figure out the massiveness of God's knowledge and understanding. There'll come a day we'll get it all figured out when we're in heaven. But until then, it's, it's kind of a mystery to us. And we can't figure it all out. I'll never forget years ago, we had some friends who um, adopted four kids from Costa Rica. Okay? And, and we, were, we were there as part of it. I was a youth pastor at the time, so they invited us over, and we had a little dedication ceremony thing and, and, and all that. And I remember... I remember um, this, this family had the resources to be able to do that, and it was, it was neat to see them do that. 
But one of the things that they had is they had this really nice house. And in this house, they had an indoor pool downstairs. Okay? They had a gym, and they had an indoor pool um, below it. And I, I remember I asked the guy, I said, hey, look. I said, now these kids came from an orphanage in Costa Rica. They, they, every night they took their clothes and put them in a barrel because they didn't, they didn't have clothes for the, their own clothes. I mean, it was, it was that kind of environment. And you bring them into this house with all of this massive stuff. And I remember I said, I said, hey, I said, tell me, what did the kids think when they saw the pool? I'll never forget what he said. He said, we haven't shown them yet. He said, you see, coming from where they came from, it is so overwhelming that we have to time out how much we reveal to them over time. Otherwise, they become overwhelmed with it. And I thought, what a great picture for us that God's at work doing this thing but God has so much stuff that he holds back from us because it would overwhelm us if he dumped it all and said this is what I'm doing if God would have looked at me when I was 22 years old out of college and said hey look here's the plan when you're 55 you're going to be in Iowa you're going to be pastor in a rural church and you're going to be living on a farm <laughs> I would have said love you I'm out um, I'm going to the city. The city's where I belong. But you see, God took us through a whole series of things to get us here. And you need to know, not all of it was pretty. There's a whole series of real ugly things in there. There's a whole series of really difficult things in there. There's a whole series of a lot of dark times in there. There's a whole series of, of events where I was saying, you know, Lord, do I really want to do this? This is crazy, you know? Not crazy good, crazy bad. You know? Lord, you know, there's not enough money to do this. You know, how are you going to take care of me, Lord? How are you going to do this? How are you going to do... There was a whole series of that. But slowly, through time, and as part of the journey, God worked and worked and worked and worked and worked, and we're at a point now where I can look back. I can actually look back, and you don't always get this. This doesn't always happen like this. It happened that way for me. I'm able to look back and see God's fingerprint all along the way to get me to this point where three weeks ago I was in a big city and I looked at my wife and I said, there are too many people. Everybody is too close. I want to get back to the farm. This is a guy who 25 years ago as a youth pastor thought every yard should be blacktopped and painted green. Because grass was just a burden of life. And I told her, and we, the area we were in was all desolate, and it was kind of desert stuff and stuff like that. And I told her, I said, I can't wait to see something green. I actually want to go cut grass. I said, I want to actually go sit on a mower and cut green grass. So that, yeah, I said, I, said <laughs> I found myself going, how do people live like this? Now, I grew up in Detroit and Chicago, okay? So, you know, but again, why? Because God, God was in control. I look at the history of this place. God has been in control over and over and over and over and over again. And we've been able to see his hand do this and that and this and that. that, To where I'm now this past week sitting in Peoria, Michigan, or Peoria, Illinois, at a table with a kid who lives in northern Michigan who's looking at me going, that's insane. And I'm able to go, yeah, yeah, that's the kind of God we serve where he does those kinds of really cool things. 
you may or may not be able to see your story unfold and be able to understand why. You may have to wait till you get to heaven to understand why God did what he did. But you see, the disciples had a confidence in God that God was going to control and God was going to take care of them. So they had no problem looking at the captain of the guard saying, sure, we'll go with you. Because whatever happens here, and again, they realized people were watching. Whatever happens here, people will be able to know our God reigns. Our God's in the one that's in control. And I want to remind you of that because I think we forget that sometimes. And God is at work. You go, well, God can't use me. You need to go through the Bible and look at the people. The people that God used are people who said, God can't use me. The people who God used are people who said, you know what, there's, there's people far better than I that God can use. No, God just simply wants a willing heart that says, you know what, God, use me where I am. Use me where I am. That's what was so much fun for me last week, is I was around a whole group of pastors and their wives who their heartbeat was not about the numbers, it wasn't about the money, it wasn't about the prestige, it was, it's about blooming where God planted them in the middle of these remote places. One of the guys who did one of our sessions, he, <laughs> he pastors a church in uh, Canada on an island. He said, the only way you can even get to our church is by boat. He said, if you don't live on the island, you don't come to church there. You know, and I thought, well, we ain't going to read about you in any magazine, are we? You know, no, but he's faithfully plugging away where God's put him. You know, and, and, and that's what I say. God's got you where he's got you. He wants to use you. Let him, even if he's going to ask some of the hard things of you. And sometimes he does. And sometimes he does. But you know what? He's got him. We're not. We got to remember that. We don't think the way he thinks. He doesn't look at stuff, we, we look at stuff. He's got something much bigger in mind. So I end this morning with this. Um, as we get to it, oh, hang on, I'll get to it. I end with this. God heals through the healing ministry of the disciples to confirm his message. Sometimes God asks really difficult things of us. And we have to be obedient, and we've got to trust him. Nothing takes him by surprise because he's the one that is ultimately in control of our lives. He knows what he's doing. So let him do what he needs to do. Let's pray. Lord, help us. God, so often we get frustrated because we can't see the big picture. So often, Lord, our little world becomes so big and so much of a focus that, Lord, we just can't see anything else. So, Lord, help us. When when you ask the tough stuff of us, may we be willing, like these apostles, to say, okay, I'll do that. Lord, when we struggle with loved ones and who, who are sick, who physically need healing, Lord, may we do the best we can with the resources that we have. But, Lord, may we ultimately learn to trust you for their healing and for working in their lives. And Lord, this week, when we're tempted to put our hands on the wheels of our lives and take control and try to steer things the way we want them to go, may we realize the importance of trusting you, of doing what you lead us to do, and Lord, understanding that uh, you see the bigger picture and you have a much, much better plan for us. 
than we could ever imagine. So, Lord, use us this week, these things we ask in your name. Amen.